0: his acquaintance a number of years ago. Not very well, but uh, I knew him uh, through that, and also the fact that his wife Jenny worked uh, for a period of time during his stay at uh, Detroit Seminary at the Intercity Bookstore, and I used to and uh, frequent that quite a bit, and so I would uh, chat with her when I was in there. Uh, in the meantime, the Lord has uh, sent them to Zambia over the last year for Jeremy to teach at the Central Africa Bible College, and they've completed that and now they're back in the states and on the road on deputation seeking support to go and help a missionary we already support in in Kenya at a Bible college there training Kenyan nationals to pastor and to plant churches so brother Jeremy and his family are looking to do that and uh he'll be on the road for a number of months now before uh garnering support and then hopefully heading on to the field uh, Jenny and their three children are not with us because they are back in Syracuse, which is their home base and her hometown, uh, so they're back there with her family while Jeremy is on, on the road. We spent the better part of four days this past week together, uh, Jeremy, Pastor Matt, myself, and another mutual friend at a conference in Louisville, Kentucky, where we were all very refreshed, and I had an opportunity to get to know Brother Jeremy even even better. So we're delighted God has brought him here uh, to preach to us during this hour. He's also going to be uh, teaching uh, the folks in the Discovering God Hour in this room as well during uh, at 11 o'clock. So we're going to have our song before he comes, and after that, Brother Jeremy will preach to us.
1: Very uh, happy to be up here today. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I have looked forward to this day for some time. Uh, because of my friendship with uh, Pastor Matt, then have been uh, certain that eventually this day would come, and I'm glad that God has pre- uh, finally uh, brought it about. June 24, 2010, Apple released the iPhone 4 with the tagline, This Changes everything. had a special display with really high resolution. Uh, it enabled uh, people to make video calls, video conferencing. Um, but the tagline uh, perhaps was a bit overstated. To, uh, to get married, you still can go to a wedding. And not much about the funeral this afternoon will be different uh, because of the iPhone 4. But as we turn to Acts chapter 2, which you find on page uh, 1020 of these uh, handout Bibles, we'll find a message for which that is not an understatement. This message changes everything. Look with me at Acts chapter 2. We're starting in verse 14. Bear with me. We'll take a long passage of Scripture and read all the way to the end of verse 41. Acts 2, verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy, will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. You with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, quoting Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. He was a prophet and knew God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his, that is, David's throne. Seeing seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of death, nor his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received the Father from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus... Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. People heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter, the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, together... We admit our own inability. I cannot uh, claim any special speech skills. Lord, there are so many things that could distract us. Good things, necessary things that could keep us from attending to your word this morning. So Lord, I pray, I plead with you to help us, change us by this text. Use this sermon from so long ago to convert our hearts, to transform our lives, to help us to make the gospel our life's message. Lord, there are uh, so many promises I can present before you that the power is in the gospel. So it is your word that I preach because it is your word that is able to make us wise to salvation. Trust those promises. Ask for your help In your Son's name, amen. Quickly, let's go over uh, the outline of Peter's sermon. I'm going to just overview so you can follow the flow of thought of everything that Peter has to say, and then we'll spend some good time in applying this sermon to our lives and hearts. Verses 14 through 21, Peter's point is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is an indication that the last days are here. Peter's got a little bit of a difficult challenge uh, because so many are speaking in tongues all at one time. There's a bit of confusion and some people who are hearing Uh, One other group who's not speaking in their language, they hear some babbling and they say, well, these guys are drunk. And Peter has a challenge of taking that point of mockery and turning it into a presentation of the gospel. So those first verses accomplish that, again, by making the point that the outpouring of the Spirit signals the last days. Verses 22 through 36, Peter's point is that the last days are occasioned by the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Messiah. The last days are occasioned by the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Messiah. Perhaps... You are like uh, the Jewish audience. When I think of the last days, I think of a, you know, a guy with a big sandwich board in the middle of the street you know, saying the end is near. And so the, his audience may be confused. Why is judgment on the way? And Peter explains that the death, burial, or death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ caused or brought about The last days. And finally in verses thirty six through forty one, Peter's point is that the last days give us an opportunity to find forgiveness. Last days give us an opportunity to find forgiveness. So we apply this uh, four minute sermon that Peter preached. Uh, Perhaps it was longer, uh, but we have about four minutes here. As we apply this to our hearts and lives, it's my mission to help you through this text to make the gospel your life's message. Make the gospel your life's message. First, as we look at this outpouring of the holy spirit that's an indication of the last days i believe that peter and luke who are recording who's recording this sermon and certainly the holy spirit who inspired it would wish us to embrace the family created by the spirit look with me at these distinctions that are overcome when as he quotes Joel, the Spirit is poured out on all people and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If sons and daughters, think with me in your mind, sons, daughters, that's, that's a, a gender distinction, right? Have men ever in the course of humankind looked down on women? Yeah? Yeah? Have women looked down on men? Absolutely. But Christ has sent His Spirit to draw us together into one family. What about young men? Have they ever disdained old men rather than learning from their wisdom? Have old men despised young men rather than benefiting from their strength. What about servants? Are those who are in a low income level despised by those who are affluent? Of course, this happens. This is the normal course of human history. And the same is true if we turn it around. Maybe we don't think about it a lot because we think of ourselves as uh, often among the poor. But, But the poor have historically looked down on the rich as being too soft to get any work done, for instance. But the Spirit of God has been outpoured and has made us one. Now that's not to say that men and women don't have different roles in the church, different skill sets, different giftedness. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that every reason that you had to look down on somebody else has been abolished. We were even reading it in Ephesians, and I'm going to read it again. So that, we, so that I don't uh, mess it up. Verse 18 of Ephesians 2, Through him we have access to the Father by one Spirit. Verse 22, In him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is a lesson that Peter had a difficult time learning. And the the first half, of the book of Acts is dedicated to Peter overcoming his inhibitions about the body being one. And specifically nation, nationality and ethnic tension. He tended to look down on the Gentiles as unclean. But God, by His Spirit, had called them clean, called them into the body, and they are now one. We need to embrace the family that has been created by the Spirit. You know what God intended for us to be? We are in this age an outpost of his great and glorious kingdom. Look, at, look with me at, at uh, Philippians chapter 1. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in, there it is, one spirit, striving together as one for the God of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you listen to this this is a sign to them that is this is a sign to your adversaries the enemies of this church the enemies of the gospel whether spiritual or human this is a sign that they will be destroyed that you will be saved and that by god We are supposed to be this church and the church is supposed to be an outpost of God's kingdom and our unity is a signal to Satan that his days are short. Let's stop messing around with petty squabbles and differences Let's make welcome our middle name. Because in these last days, there's no time for this foolishness. There's only one distinction that matters. Either you're in Adam, among the perishing, or in Christ, among those who are being saved. Perhaps some of you are here and have never made the gospel, your life's message. I ask you, embrace this family. Think there's something in every human heart that longs for this unity, this community, this oneness that the Spirit provides. And Peter directed this sermon specifically to promise the Spirit to everyone who believes. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will avoid that destruction and will be saved, and that by God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Second, I think that Peter and the Holy Spirit who inspired this text desire us to confess boldly the fact of sin. I mentioned a second ago that this is a four-minute sermon. Some of you are already wishing that I had a four-minute sermon. <laughs> it, took, it takes me a little bit longer to explain what's going on. Uh, but this four-minute sermon, three of those minutes are, are spent convincing Israel that they're sinful. In fact, convincing them of a very specific sin, that they had slaughtered the Messiah. The tension there, of course, is that in their minds, it was very difficult to picture a Messiah up on a cross. It's not difficult for us, I think, because we name our churches Calvary uh, Bible Church, Calvary Baptist Church. We we name our churches. We put up uh, decorations of the cross. We wear a cross um, as necklaces, as jewelry. But this was very offensive. One of, the, one of the stories in the Bible that makes clear how offensive it is is the story of Esther. You remember the story of Esther. Haman was after this guy Mordecai, and through the providence of God, using Esther in a very awkward situation, uh, saves, the, saves the Jews and saves Mordecai. And Haman, who had set up gallows on which to kill Mordecai, is hung with his sons on those very gallows. Jews continued to celebrate that victory. And they would hiss as the story was read every time the name Haman would come up. They would give their children little dolls with Haman. And a stick run through. Haman on a stick. And and that was a point of celebration for them. This is what God does to his enemies. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Perhaps now we begin to see how offensive it was To say, yeah, God sent his Messiah, and by his predetermined plan, God put him on a tree. Is the offense of the gospel becoming clear? Well, Peter knew that he had his work cut out for him, but he went directly to the word of God. He took out the big guns, and he proved his point by Consulting Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. It was very effective. People realized that these psalms could not ultimately refer to David or any of David's sons until a resurrection had happened. They saw the point. These texts don't have their full fulfillment until somebody comes back from the dead and is raised to the right hand of God. And by God's Spirit, they were cut to the heart. The word in verse 37 is stabbed. Their consciences have been twisted. They are are convinced. And they say, Brothers, what shall we do? But church, I don't think that, in, under normal circumstances, we'll ever get to that point, brothers. What shall we do if we're not boldly confessing the fact of sin? Confess boldly the fact of sin. Peter spends three minutes of his four-minute sermon on that point. He's not pulling punches. He is pointing fingers. Confess boldly the fact of sin. Now don't get me wrong. We don't have to be pompous. We don't have to be offensive in our personality. In fact, it should help us to recognize what John 1 says. John 1 says, though he made the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him we're in the same boat these Israelites were in. If we remember that we're responsible for rejecting the Messiah all our lives until that point where He opened our eyes and brought light into darkness, if we remember that we're responsible just as they for rejecting the Messiah, for hanging Him on that tree, if we're remembering that God became one of us. What if God were one of us? We'd slaughter him. That's what. That's us. we have that spirit of humility, contrition, if we're confessing boldly the fact of sin in our lives, it's going to come across a lot different when we confess boldly the act of sin. of sin, the facts of sin in the lives of those in our community. But we cannot pull punches because we'll never get to the point, brothers, what shall we do? If we are not clear about the fact that we have offended a holy God, we have rejected a clear Messiah. There's that old... um, Negro spiritual that we sing around Christmas time. Uh, we didn't know who he was. Well, we should have. That's that's why it says that he was accredited by God in verse 22 to miracles, wonders, and signs. And we run a red light and the police officer pulls us over and and we say... Officer, I, I didn't see it. Well, you should have seen it. That's why they made it red. Same point. Jesus was clearly, clearly testified. Yet, though the world was made through him, we refused to acknowledge him. And the community around us is continuing in that Perhaps you're here and you have never confessed your sin. You have never recognized if no other sin than the fact that you have rejected God's Messiah. I call you to admit your sin, to turn, to come to the point where you're willing to say, brothers, what shall we do? Is it too late to apologize? And the good news is that it's not. It's not too late to apologize. Because we can celebrate forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Verse 30, verses 37 through 41 give us such hope. We can celebrate forgiveness in the name of of Jesus, Can you think of any sin that's been done against you that would match the killing of God's Son? I was thinking this morning that God knows what it's like to lose a child. And we are the ones who put him through that. And God freely forgives in the name of Jesus Christ. And come back to that pettiness point. Are you holding on to something? And somebody else's, that some way that they have offended you? Look, all of us have rejected the Messiah. All of us. Are responsible for rejecting God's only Son. How can that petty offense get in the way? But it was really wrong. What they did to me was really wrong. Yes, it was perhaps really wrong. But can you trust God to take care of that? Be willing to forgive them. Because the heart that celebrates forgiveness is ready and eager to forgive. Now, there is a difficult um, point here that I do want to explain in verse 38. It's, See, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That, that sounds like we get forgiveness through baptism. But I think that Peter himself in 1 Peter 3 will explain what he means. He says, baptism saves you, not the washing of your body from dirt, but the appeal to God. In other words, that ritual represents an appeal to God for a clear conscience. And we see this that over and over again in this passage. Everyone who appeals to God, who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. He says those who accepted the message in verse 41 were baptized. So the ritual signifies an internal appeal that's going on, an appeal, God, clear my conscience. I am guilty. Judgment is on the way for me, and I need deliverance. I need salvation. And it's everyone who makes this appeal to God Everyone who turns away from sin who is forgiven. Celebrate that forgiveness and become a community that is willing to be kind like Jesus was kind to us. Forbearing like every day He is forbearing with us. When we make the gospel our life's Message. The impact in our community will be irrepressible. You cannot stop it. In this community, 3,000 were added to the number. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in desperate need of your help to open our eyes to grudges that we are holding, to prejudices that we hold dear but don't even acknowledge, to cowardice in our speech. So many points that count against us, that work against our making the gospel our life's message. Would you come by your Spirit to change us, to make us bold, forgiving, welcoming people of God? And pray this in your Son's name.